the Fitness Hacks Podcast, episode 31. Today, we're talking with Karen Smith. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks Podcast by Redefining Strength. Breaking down fitness and the fitness business with some of the best names in the industry. And here are your hosts, Corey Lefkowitz and Ryan Heenan. Being the student is important. And even if you are teaching certifications and you are traveling and training other trainers, you still have to be the student. Karen was so great to talk to today because she really shared her passion with all things fitness and from just following that dream of getting into the fitness industry to now traveling all around the world teaching classes, Karen's done it all. She reminds us that it's important to always be a student and that we can always be learning and growing and that we need to test things on ourselves because our clients are basically a walking billboard and we want to get them the best results possible. So let's jump right into it with Karen. Today, we're joined by Karen Smith. Karen, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us about your background and your fitness journey and what led to your passion for fitness? Um, Thank you guys so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Um, Gosh, okay, let's put this in the the shortest version. Um, (laughs) I've been doing personal training um, since about, gosh, I think it was like 98, 99, but really a life of fitness and um, gymnastics, track, cheerleading, all of those things growing up that were just fun. And I'm getting to revisit a lot of those nowadays. I'm having a daughter who's jumped into the, a lot of the same things. Um, so that's kind of really where everything started was just being a kid and, um, loving gymnastics and loving movement and wanting to get back into that and realizing, you know, now that I have a kid, like how many of those things your body just remembers, there's still things that we can do at this age. And I think that's kind of like what keeps my passion going is now I can help other trainers and other people, um, kind of reach things that they think maybe have thought in the past that their body can't do or look at things as though I'm too old for this or I'm too old for that. So that's kind of, I guess the, where the passion's still at, um, as far as what I do most of the time right now, I'm traveling. I travel about 25, 30 weekends a year teaching certifications and workshops. Um, most of the certifications are for Strong First, which is um, an organization where school of strength. And so we teach people principles in kettlebells, body weight, and barbell that can really carry over to any of those modalities and help with other modalities as well. Then I have a few of my own workshops and some things that I do. But that, that's the main thing that I'm doing is traveling. And when I'm not doing that, I have a um, blog that has a membership section where I'm training other trainers there or even just enthusiasts that want um, someone to provide them an easy way to have workouts every day if they can't afford to have a trainer in person. Well, Karen, you you didn't brag enough. I mean, you are the only female master SFG trainer in the world. And you did the Iron Maiden. I mean, you're an amazing woman. And, you know, you make it sound so easy, like you just had this passion when you were a kid for it. And now you're just (laughs) doing it again. But there had to be a lot of different things that you experimented with. And I know a lot of people even, you know, do athletics as as a child and then, you know, completely fall off and don't manage to maintain it. And part of their fitness journey is actually coming back to that. So, you know, were you always involved? Were there times where you, you sort of fell off and that re-sparked your passion? How did you go from the youth athlete to being this amazing badass woman? Oh, thanks. Um, I, I guess I have pretty much always been. I mean, I've definitely had moments where I've been more into it than others, um, but never really fell off. Um, I grew up in Texas. And then after I got married, I moved to California, which really got me um, 
into fitness even more. Um, that was in my early twenties when I got married and moved out there. Um, my husband at the time was, um, in the SEAL teams and, you know, you guys being from California, you kind of know how that is. It's very much a uh, health conscious state. And so it kind of reignited my fire for training and, and really getting out there because one, it's such a beautiful place and why not be outside being active? Um, and I only thought that I was, you know, fit and strong when I was in Texas. And then I get to California. I'm like, wow, these people really, <laughs> really are fit. So it just kind of reignited that. And then of course, you know, um, with my ex being in the teams, it was, you know, being around all of that and being outside and seeing what they were doing. And so it just really kind of put me back into that place of, I'm tired of being that salesperson that's doing cold calls and, and working, you know, in a field that I just wasn't happy in. So getting back in, um, getting into training and actually getting certified, um, was just something that just felt like it was what I needed to do. It's like, here's where my passion's at. I'm spending most of my time in the gym when I'm not doing my sales job. Like, why am I not just transitioning over to, to something that I love and not feeling like I'm going to a job every day, but just going to something that I'm super passionate about. How did you go about transitioning? Because it can be really difficult to leave your nine to five, even if you do have a passion for something else. Um, you know what? I, I guess at that point I was kind of lucky, um, because I was married and we had gotten to the point where we weren't really, um, in any kind of debt where I need, we need to have my income or have a really high level income. So what I was doing is I had my sales job for a little while as I was getting my certifications. And then I found a gym in La Jolla, California that I wanted to, um, basically do an internship at. And they allowed me that opportunity. There were 14 trainers that I could follow around and really get the hands-on aspect and see how different everyone does things, which was incredible. Um, so any new trainers, I definitely recommend finding a place where you can have mentors and follow them around because there's so many different ways about training that um, they should follow. But anyway, so I went to um, – did the internship. And at that time, I just really didn't need a big income. So I guess I was kind of lucky in that aspect. And, um, I just dove in, I was like, it's time, it's, it's time to make this jump. And then after the internship, I started having some of my own, um, clients. It is still taking a big risk. Even if you are financially, you know, secure, it's still taking that leap and being like, okay, I'm going from something I know that I can do. And I have done to something that is completely sort of new and foreign and, you know, getting that mentorship, I'm sure was so key. And then also getting certified as well. What drew you to strong first? Um, with strong first, um, you know, we've, we've been around for a couple years now before strong first, we were, we were the RKC. So Russian kettlebell challenge. And I, um, had not heard of them when I, um, the military moved us to DC and I was actually in like a weird depression after leaving California. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I've had this beautiful weather. I'm loving being outside. And they moved us to DC where it was snow and cold and I was miserable. I didn't know anyone. And so what better place to, you know, spend all of your time is in the gym. So I would go to the gold gym there and they would allow me to put my daughter in childcare for a couple of hours. So it was like the only break that I had at that time. And, um, one of the trainers there was doing kettlebells and I was like, that's what I want. I need something that I've never done. That's going to really reignite my, um, passion for being active and, and get out of this like rut of, hating the snow and hating, you know, that I had to leave California. So I hired him and, um, just 
went back to being the student for a little while and I learned kettlebells and he was like, you need to go to this certification with me. And so he mentioned the RKC and Pavel and I decided to sign up, sounded like a, a good opportunity. And it, you know, that the rest is history. I mean, it's, I, I loved it and haven't looked back. Well, we can definitely relate to that cold because we lived in Boston for a while. So, uh, it is definitely a little depressing and it wears on you, especially after <laughs> being in California where you have the sun, you know, so many days per year. So after Absolutely. going and looking at these kettlebells and, and, and developing this passion for it, at what point did you say, I want to start doing workshops and I want to start teaching for this as well? Um, well, I immediately, once I came back from the certification, um, want to start teaching. And I was supposed to open up a gym with um, the gentleman who got me to go. And unfortunately, that did not happen. Um, the military decided we were going to move again. And they moved us to Virginia Beach. So while that was good and bad, you know, I had to leave people again that I was really, really happy training with and and excited about opening a business. Um, so that was the sad part. But getting to Virginia Beach and realizing that there were no kettlebell gyms there, it was the perfect opportunity while I had this, you know, passion and this fire lit in me at the certification. Um, I moved and opened up the first kettlebell training studio in Virginia Beach. So it was it was definitely um, fun and um, exciting and stressful and everything all at once. But it was it was really good. What was the experience like opening the first kettlebell gym in a place? Was there a lot of education that had to go into that? How did you start building that business? It did. You know, there was there was this time where everybody was like, well, what is that? Right. The kettlebell. And um, there were some people that knew them because it is a predominantly um, predominantly a military town. And some people had used them, you know, on the bases and knew certain things. And then some people had known them a little bit through CrossFit, but it was really a, a getting out there and having to spread the word of what this is. And that's, um, at the time, um, something that was really helpful is I put in the name of my business, um, kettlebell. So it was kettlebell elite. And I put that in the name because I needed people to know that I wasn't just a standard gym. I was something new in the area, but Looking back at that later, years later, um, there should have been something a little bit different in the name. Not so much like, did I need to not have kettlebells in the name? But, but the way I did the name, it made people think that that's all we did. Um, so it was kind of like a, a, a another situation where it was kind of good and bad. It was good that it brought me the business in the beginning. But then in the end, it was, well, that's all they do. What if I want the X, y, you know, X, Y, and Z? So that's something that I would probably do different if I were to open up another gym in the, in the future. And, or for people that are thinking about opening up a gym is really think about your name, really think about how it's going to affect and, you know, what you do in the industry and where you want your business to go, because there's going to be change over time. And, um, each part of it can, you know, can have its good, good points and its bad points, but really start thinking about the name and the model of your business and your, your business plan and, you know, basically go from there. I think that's really interesting because we haven't talked that much about naming stuff on here. And I know figuring out my own names, it was very difficult. And it, it's great advice to think about, you know, where do you want the future of your business to go? And will your name really fit it? So uh, that's a very interesting thing that we haven't really talked about. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. I mean, like I said, the, the high points were it was something new. And I'm not super creative. <laughs> so Kettlebell Elite was just like, okay, this is an, an elite form of, of training that is new. So let's just put it together. Um, and luckily for me, being Karen, I started being known in my area for 
you're that kettlebell chick, you're kettlebell Karen. So again, good for the beginning of opening a new business. Everything was word of mouth. I didn't have to do a lot of advertising. And I opened the gym when I had 12 of my neighbors as students. And that kind of formed because we were training in the garage and outside and it was nice weather at one point. And then when it went to snowy weather, we were crammed in a garage with a space heater and we ran out of space. So I had to make the leap to like open the gym and, um, and get started. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good for the beginning. Like I didn't have to do a lot, but then over time I'm like, yeah, I'm the kettlebell girl, but like I do these other things as well. It's not just kettlebells. So something, definitely something to think about. I feel like there was a time period there, though, when people were naming their businesses in association with what they thought would be searched for on Google, too. And I'm I'm so glad that period passed. But I think a lot of people say, oh, yeah, like, I'll put kettlebell in my gym name so I'll be able to get local search traffic or I'll put personal trainer in my name. But like you said, at some point, you're probably going to pivot and change in the future to do something that's a little bit different. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think that's that's probably where a lot of people are thinking, myself included. And I think too, you know, you want your name to fit your business, but you also need to know who you're targeting. You target so many different people and work with so many different, we call them avatars, but clients, you know, you work with people from the military, you know, you're an advisory board member for Girls Gone Strong. So you're going to deal with a lot of women. Does it, is it ever interesting trying to balance all the different types of people? Is there one that you prefer? How do you target for some of your programs? I just feel like you have so many different like types of clients that you work with. You know what I do, but I, I kind of don't. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but it's kind of like I've built this niche now that most people that come to me, whether it be military, whether it be um, females, moms, whoever they are, the people that come to me nowadays, it's for strength. And it's kind of that niche that's kind of just paved its own way, I guess. I mean, I don't have a lot of people that are coming to me that are like, hey, I want to do a figure competition or, Hey, can you um, help me lose 50 pounds? Like it's, it's not, those aren't the people that come to me. It's, Hey, can you help me get a weighted pull up or get my first pull up? Can you help me get a one arm push up or increase my deadlift? Or can you train me for the Iron Maiden Beast Tamer? Those are the people that come to me more often than not. The ones that just want to work out of the day. Those are the people that go to my blog and they become members. And I started that because I had all of these people in my gym that I didn't want them to feel like they weren't important to me or that I was letting them down when I closed my gym. And I wanted a place for them to go. They already knew how to do the skills and they were used to my format. So I created this membership portion where they could log in and get a workout every day. So the niche is mostly for my distance coaching and program design is strength-based. Um, the people that just want to work out of the day is the people that go to the blog. So it, it, it kind of separates itself pretty easily. I think that's such an interesting point, though, that you do have a niche. It's just not necessarily what people often target with like female or male or, you know, you know, wanting to lose weight or it, it's it's very it's specific, but it can be very general as well. And it's this underlying desire for strength. And even though you say, you know, if people sort of found your way for this one reason, you know, you were probably writing blogs and putting content out there and advertising in some way to people so that they would know that you could provide them with this benefit. What were you doing to put yourself out there? Um, you know what? I, I kind of lucked out in, in the beginning as far as getting out there. Um, I had my gym and so it really was more just only known in my area. And, um, then being the, the area was military based, uh, or such a big military market. And my ex-husband, 
um, was military. So we were around all of that for 20 years. So when Pavel or other people would come into the area and do training with the military, um, it was a way that I was able to help them out. So after working with Pavel, doing some private military workshops, that kind of got me into that realm of being able to do other things because he saw how I worked with that group and how I carried myself there. And then that's where um, I then became promoted. And as a team leader, I was able to travel and teach and it just took off from there. So once I started traveling, it just started picking up and um, being one of very few females at the time as team leader and then promoted to senior, promoted to master, um, it just really started to pick up people knowing more of who I was in that realm, but it was still in the kettlebell world for such a long time. It was like, this is this kettlebell girl, right? It just kind of went on a little bit bigger scale than just in my gym. So I started having, um, other trainers kind of run the gym for me so that I could start traveling. But it wasn't until I got divorced that I really dove like into the deep end of travel. I mean, and now it's 25, 30 weekends a year, um, that I'm traveling. So it, it's a lot of fun and, um, there's great aspects to it. Um, there's really tiring aspects to it, you know, but it's still, I love it so much. I haven't wanted to stop. Um, but when we get to talking later about new trainers, like I'll tell you some more ideas for, for what to do with that. Cause there's so many people that they see what we're doing and they, they just want to start there and not realize that this has been, you know, almost a 20 year training journey to get to doing what I'm doing right now versus someone that's just starting out and becoming a personal trainer. Well, I don't even want to wait. I want to find out, you know, like how would you <laughs> recommend someone go from being a personal trainer? Cause we, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, think personal trainers then have to open gyms if they want to grow, but there's so many other avenues out there and, you know, coaching and teaching and traveling and doing it is a great opportunity. How did you transition from just personal training or even owning your facility into doing something that most people don't necessarily consider? Well, I guess the the first transition, like I said, was after the divorce. It was um, it was more of like out of a need to keep myself sane. You know, you're used to having a child with you twenty four seven while their while their dad's deployed and and traveling. Um, you know, with the military, and it went to you know splitting every other weekend, and that was like a big thing for me that was really difficult. And I was like, you know what, I need to get myself out of town and um, focus on something else, and and see where, where it goes to kind of keep my mind off of that. So while it started as just a thing to keep me sane, um, it grew into what it is now, but for new trainers, what I, what I think one of the biggest downfalls is right now for new trainers is there's so much of online this or online that, and the people that are new, they want to jump into that, right? They're like, Oh, that looks easy. I'll just distance coach people. I don't have to go work at a gym, but you're not getting the same experience as you do if you're in a gym. So when you're in a gym, you're seeing so many different bodies. And if you start to really look at the way people move, you're going to learn more about the body and you're going to learn that faster, the more people that you see in person. Um, so I think that's where the online part is lacking for the new people because they think, oh, it's just easy. I'll just be an online trainer. Um, I won't have any overhead and I'll just be able to program, but you have to build that base of people that, that trust you and that have gotten results from you so that you build your name and then they'll say, okay, I can go train with this person and not be in, in front of them. But I think every trainer needs, like I said, a mentorship where you're working with people that have, that are experienced trainers, um, and see people in person first because you have to build your credibility. 
I totally agree. And working with those people being so hands on, it's like everybody's body is unique and responds differently to programming. And that way you can even test and tweak things that you might share later online. And I think it even extends to going to in-person workshops. There's so many certifications you can take online, but going in person and person and not only meeting other coaches, but getting hands-on experience, like with someone tweaking what you're doing even is such a great thing, which I'm sure drew you to teaching strong first. Absolutely. And you know what? And I still go as a student and I still do those um, those programs where I want people to try them out. I mean, I have a beta group right now that I created a, a program for myself, which I do a lot. And I don't normally put them out to the public until I've tested them. But this time um, I've come back from having a surgery. And so I'm basically rebuilding my strength. And so I wanted the accountability for myself to be like, you know what? I'm kind of needing those training partners because there's a little bit of frustration when you have to take so much time off and, you know, it's kind of like, um, reminding yourself that you can be the student and, and to, to treat yourself like you would treat your students, right? Like give them, give them grace and, and help them understand that there's going to be regression to progress. And sometimes you have to rebuild. So I, I put my work, my uh, program out there, um, and have about 40 people that are doing it with me right now so that I can see that, it's not only for me that I can rebuild my strength after a, a big surgery, but how can I help these people get stronger and see who it's working for, who it's setting back. So that's that's kind of exciting right now that I'm, I'm able to do that with them online and they're checking in with me every week. And so it's, you know, being the student is important. And even if you are teaching certifications and you are traveling and, and training other trainers, you still have to be the student. You still have to have that time where you were having your movement assessed and being looked at and, and working with other people. And it's so great to be able to create that community online where people from all around the world can connect with like-minded people. At what point did you say, okay, I'm going to put together this membership site to expand my reach even further? That was um, at the time that I was closing my gym. When I knew that I wasn't able to give the people in person as much as I wanted to anymore because my traveling had kind of taken on um, a lot of the load. so. I developed, I knew I was going to be moving. Um, I lived in Virginia beach at the time. Like I said, I had gone through a divorce. I was living in, in Virginia beach and flying out of Norfolk to go all over the world was not, um, working for me, for me very well. It's, I was getting stuck in a lot of places. The flights were more expensive. So, um, my ex-husband and I agreed that we were going to relocate back to Texas, um, be central and kind of go, um, a place to ease that would be easier for travel. Right. So from there, um, of course, I wanted to go back to California. <laughs> he wanted to go to DC, back to DC. So it kind of was like, well, what's plan B? Texas. Um, <laughs> we, which we love, but it's, um, so we're all here. So it's great for our daughter, but it, it gave me the opportunity to develop the program or develop the membership program so that all of the people that were in my gym could still have my help. And then in, in, that's where it started. But now it's grown to other trainers. I mean, I have trainers that log in and pay monthly just so they don't have to worry about program design for their classes because I have it all taken care of for them. You know, I had the gym um, for six years. I had about 25 to 30 classes a week that I was designing for. And I just kept track of all of that. So I've had books and books and books of workouts and training programs. And so now I load them um, so that other people can have access to those at a really, really minimal fee per month. And it just kind of takes some of the stress off when their lives are busy. They can go, oh, I can just log in here and there's going to be this whole you know, list of workouts for me every week. 
And it allows them to continue to be the student as well and get a little mentorship online. Absolutely. I love that you do harp on and like focus on being the student yourself because I think as coaches so often we think, you know, we can't be open to learning something new or we shut ourselves down a little bit. And the thing is, is you constantly need to be learning and getting yourself out there because that will help you then coach people better. And when you're putting this program together and you're working through it with these people, it's like you can see firsthand what's working for them, what's not, what's working for you, what's not. And it's it's such a great opportunity to be the continual student that becomes a better coach because of it. Absolutely. And you know what? Here's the great thing. There's so many things out there, but there's also really not any, I mean, not new things in fitness, right? Like most of these things have been around forever, but there's new packaging and it's put in a different, um, maybe someone words it a little bit differently. That's going to speak to someone better than hearing it from someone else. You know, I could say something all day long to my classes And maybe they weren't hearing me or hearing it the way that I would want them to. And then I bring in another instructor as a guest coach one day and they're like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what I just learned from them this weekend. And I'm like, I tell you that every week, right? But sometimes it's, it's just hearing it in a different way or hearing it from someone else. And it just clicks. You have this aha moment and it makes sense. So I definitely recommend that no matter what level you get to, that you always reach out to other people. You do other people's programs, you test for each other, you learn from each other, you assess each other's movements. You always have to be the student because there's always going to be another way to do something that maybe you've done only one way for a really long time. I think people that are new to the industry that are just starting out, they have a hard time with the concept of reaching out because they aren't sure what to do. They don't want to overstep boundaries. What advice do you have to people that are just starting out In terms of reaching out, do you email over and over and over and over and over? Do you go make an in-person connection first? What advice would you give? I think you can definitely reach out um, and and people should. But here's here's the thing that people need to understand is the best way to reach out is in a respectful way through email, right? We've all gotten into this social media aspect where, oh, let me just send a private message via Instagram or a private message via um, Facebook. And while that's, that's still okay from time to time, the social media world has put us in a place where we almost feel like we know someone that we really don't know. And I am, I'm very open to helping and talking to anyone. Um, but I have had people that reach out to me on social media. And if I don't get back to them in a timely fashion, then I might get a rude reply back with or another message. That's not very, um, <laughs> very kind. So I think people just need to realize that we still need to go about it in a professional way. And I think most instructors, if you reach out to someone via email, um, in a respectful way and be like, this is what I'm trying to do. And I'm, uh, I really would like your help. I think most people are really open to helping. Um, but asking for mentorship, uh, in some fashion is another way that's going to probably get you a lot more. Not, I'm not saying you can't, um, get information for free, but being willing to ask for help and in a respectful way, like in a mentorship where, um, there's something for both parties, if that makes sense. Um, because so many instructors are busy and you can't always just be giving out free information, but we want to give out enough free information to show that, that we're here to mentor you and and we believe it and we're passionate about it. And, you know, I want to help as many people as I can. And so that's where a lot of my business over time, uh, my plan is as I start to slow down with some of my travel, 
is to be able to have and build that mentorship for other trainers so that it kind of gives them an easier path. So there aren't so many questions on how should I do this? How should I do that? Who's the best person to reach out to depending on their, their goals for their business. So with stepping into mentoring more trainers, what are like the top five things you would tell someone starting out? Oh gosh. Okay. Five things first. uh, Okay. So we talked about business, have a plan, know what you want for your business, right? Because I will get people to be like, how do I get to do what you're doing? I want to travel. That seems really cool. Well, one, you have to build your foundation. And I say this in my coaching as well, because you have to have a foundation of strength before you do certain things. Same thing in your business. You have to build that foundation. And normally that foundation is where do I want my business to be? So you need to kind of start working on a business plan. And I'm not saying you have to go and, you know, do all the legal side and invest a lot of money in a, in a professional business plan, but you do want to start thinking about where your business needs to be and where you want it to go. So that's one, um, go to as many workshops as you can. That's feasible within your budget, you know, find things that are local to you, um, or maybe just reach out to people that might might want someone to train with. I mean, I reach out in my area. There's days where it's cold outside. And I'm like, I just want training partners. You know, I'm not trying to stir up clients that to, to come pay me to train them right now. But maybe I just want to have someone else be a training partner. And so I think that's a good thing is find someone that you admire what they're doing and try to get in some sort of training with them. How many did I give you already? Is that three or five or three or four? Well, we we can say three. I felt like that was (laughs) kind of like two with a little bonus. Okay. Two with a bonus. Okay. So let's say three. So we, um, business plan, mentorship, um, three. Okay. Let's say practice program design and test them on yourself and, and your friends and your family. Because if you don't know if you're the way that you're training people is going to work, it's going to frustrate you when you're trying to get, get clients or students. And they're your billboard and they're your word of mouth. So if you're not getting them the results or you don't know how to take them from point A to point B to so on, that's going to be really frustrating for you and frustrating for them. And you don't want upset people out there, especially within the world of social media saying, oh, no, this didn't work out or this person didn't get me and then veering on to someone else. So you want to know that what you want to do and how you want to train, that you know how to program it in a smart way that's going to work for different body types. That's such a great point. And I don't think we do it enough. You know, you really do need to test and try things out because you'd be amazed at how good a workout sounds. And then when you do it, it just like the order of the exercises, whoo, it can destroy you. And if you didn't test it out, you might end up slaughtering your clients in a way you didn't intend. Yes, absolutely. Um, the next thing I would say is don't always jump on whatever the next shiny object is. Um, really find your niche. And find the people that you mesh with the best and don't be afraid to fire a student or client if they don't fit in that area because you're not going to do yourself any favors or them any favors if you're trying to just take on anyone and everyone because that's what you need to do to make the bills, <laughs> to, to pay your bills. Um, you want to make sure it's people that you mesh with and click with. And and so that that I would really say is just think about where your who's your ideal um, client or student. And I think that ties into what you were talking about with starting with training people at a gym or something like that first, because when you do that, you're going to learn who you like to work with and who you don't like to work with. I know oftentimes athletes especially will go in thinking, I want to train other athletes, 
But then they get to doing it and they say, okay, wow, maybe I don't want to train other athletes and maybe I want to train women who want to lose weight. Absolutely. And you know what? There's so many people that start out that are like, I'm going to be that, that athlete trainer because that's the, the cool thing, right? That's the, those are the people that are, everybody knows. And if I say I train them, then that's going to make me a bigger deal. But those are the people sometimes that are the hardest people to train. They have the busiest schedules. They are not going to be, um, as consistent as the people that just really want it that are your, your everyday people that are busy with work that really need you. Um, those are the ones that I would gear to for most, most people, because looking to train the athletes that are never around or this or that, I mean, yeah, they, they might pay a little more, but they're so few and far between. So I would say, don't go into it thinking that that's what you're going to do is you're going to train all these athletes and be really cool. Well, and it even goes, I mean, it even goes back to the point you made before about your clients or your billboard. And so it's who can you also help the best? You know, who do you enjoy writing programming for? Because all those things have to be interconnected. Otherwise, you're going to burn out because you won't be enjoying not only who you're working with, but the programming you get to write and you won't be getting your clients the results they deserve because you might not be enjoying it. So it all is very, very connected. Absolutely. It, it definitely is. And you want to find your niche because I can tell you when you wake up every day and you're able to do something that you love, you don't feel like you're working. And I have to remind myself sometimes, like I'll be sitting and I'm like, wow, I'm responding to this email at midnight. I should be giving myself hours that I'm supposed to be actually working. And I'm trying to get better about that because if you start off that way and people just know that you're going to respond no matter what time of the day it is, then they expect you to respond no matter what time of day it is. And, and I have gotten calls and texts and, and things like that at, at hours that are way outside of when I should be working because I allowed that to be the format because it didn't feel like work because I loved it so much that I just wanted to be doing it all the time. But now I'm realizing that I need to rein that in a little bit so that my life is not all just my daughter and just work. Like I need to have a, a personal life as well. And the crazy thing that, that showed me that I didn't is I had gone on a date and I was asked, you know, what do you do for fun? And I sat there just with this, I'm sure had this crazy look on my face. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't do anything (laughs) for fun. What kind of life is that? Like, I love what I do. And so obviously I love my work and I love doing any, my daughter's always going to be first with what she's doing and then work second. But I, I have to kind of rein that in and realize, you know what? I need to have a personal life as well. And so I'm trying to mold that in. That's something that's kind of new goal for this year, because it wasn't until that moment that I realized that I don't have any hobbies outside of outside of working out. It's one of the questions that gets me. So how many hours a week do you work? They say, I I don't know. How many hours does it feel like I'm working or how many hours am I thinking about something that is technically work related? Because it's yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's almost 24 (laughs) seven. So that's that's what I'm trying to definitely like. Um, find the the right balance now and go, okay, well, out of all of these trips, like which one can I, you know, turn into something that could have a day of personal side to it? Because like, for example, I leave tomorrow. I leave Dallas at 1030. I arrive in New York at 430. I train all day Saturday. I train Sunday till 330 for this certification. And I go straight back to the airport. I'm back at the airport an hour after the certification is over and then back on a flight here. So I'm not even in New York for 48 hours. And it's like, well, why don't I schedule days that where I can 
enjoy the places that I'm going and actually see something outside of the airport, the hotel, the restaurant and the facility. <laughs> so that that's that's my goal for this year is to is to find that that balance. I think that self-reflection is so important, though, too, because we get very caught up in doing the day to day and doing what we enjoy, but just very focused on the moment. And we don't necessarily reflect on how we can make things better. And taking that perspective and making these you know, goals for this year, what other advice do you wish you could have given your former self? Oh, gosh, um, definitely slow down for sure. Um, patience. Um, I remember just thinking that everything and like so many people, right? We want that magic pill. We want everything to happen in a blink of an eye. Like, well, why didn't I get results yet? Or why am I not strong enough yet? Why am I not lean enough yet? And I think it would be the patience and understanding that it is, you do not need to beat yourself up day in, day out in the gym to reach your goals. So I would say that for sure. I would, I would definitely um, give myself patience and um, more balance. I'm sure there's other things. Gosh, there's probably so much advice I could give myself if I actually took time to think about it. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Uh, You know what I would have done? I would have probably jumped on strength training sooner than being the cardio queen that I was for a really long time. That, That would be another thing. That's always hard, though, because I feel like with fitness, especially you always look back and you're like, why did I do that so long? Or why didn't I implement this other thing sooner? Because there's just so many new things that you're you're constantly learning and trying to implement and grow with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's something that you think is the way to to do things. And then later you go, man, if I only knew back then what I know now. Right. Like how much smarter, how much just so many things. And it can happen in a lot of areas, not just in in fitness. But yeah, I definitely think that that it's uh, something we all kind of look back on. If I knew this when I was your age, I would have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of looking back, what about looking forward? Where do you see the future of fitness going? Oh, gosh. You know what? That that's that's a good question. Fitness in general, I think we are having a, a, um, a big shift. And, um, I'd like to say that thanks to, to girls gone strong, we have made a pretty good shift in, um, the way that we're trying to break down myths for women. So that I I do see as hopefully being a big shift that in CrossFit. I mean, I think CrossFit's made a big change in women's training as well as, as like I said, girls gone strong, real helping people realize that you, um, we're not going to get bulky and we should give ourselves grace. And you know what? all these things are Photoshopped out there. Like we're not going to look like a runway model. So why are we beating ourselves up? Because, oh my gosh, I might have a, a a belly roll or I might have cellulite or I might have this or that. And I was, I was part of that. I really thought for the longest time that I needed to have this perfect everything or, you know, oh, I'm not going to get out in a swimsuit because I don't look a certain way for a couple of reasons. One, it was, I was too hard on myself. Um, and I, and that's something I think came with age and also with the the most recent surgery, I've kind of like given myself a break on that, but then also as a, fe- a female in the training industry, because it's still very much a male dominated industry. I felt like as a female, you're judged by, oh my gosh, if you don't look like this, you don't have a six pack, then people aren't going to look at you and think that you know what you're talking about. Um, and those are things that, like I said, we're, we're breaking those myths down. We are growing in the, in the fitness industry as females and, and getting the word out. And so I, I think that there's, there's that big shift of 
the way that women are, are seeing things. And we still have a long ways to go to break down those barriers. But, um, the biggest one is that I think the biggest myth in the, in the way I see the future going is people understanding more about strength training and how much we need it at any age. Um, not that we don't need cardio as well. We definitely need endurance, but I just think that there's a lot of thought process where people are still unsure of it, should it be strength? Should it be strength endurance or should it be cardio? And, and what's the best way for each, each individual? I think it's interesting that you bring up CrossFit because a lot of times now you'll hear people either like diehard fans or people bashing it mercilessly. And you mentioned that it was so important for women. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I, I used to be one of those women that <laughs> just thought that it was it was evil. <laughs> it is the worst thing that's out there. No one should do it. Right. Um, but what I mean by it's been good for females is it has gotten it's it's brought more women to understanding, um, that we need to strength train, right? Is it ideal for everyone? No, I still don't think that that CrossFit is ideal for everyone. I think it's great for some people. I think some people need a bigger, um, base, like a fitness baseline before they jump into it. But what I think that it's done for women is it's been so public and then seeing the, the CrossFit games, I think that's getting more women comfortable in their own skin and being out there to lift and not be afraid of bulking. So that's kind of where it's a little bit of like what we're doing with, with girls going strong, but a little bit of the publicity of CrossFit has done that. Um, so I'm not a CrossFit hater by any means. I've actually did CrossFit, um, for a month when I moved to, um, to Dallas because I wanted to try to get to know people in the area. It is very different than I train. Um, and I think like anything, whether it be strong first, whether it be, um, when we were the RKC, whether it be, um, CrossFit, there's good and bad in everything, right? There's great trainers and there's not so great trainers. And it's, if you're going to do CrossFit, you need to find the one that's, that's really focused on quality, not always quantity. Right. And I think that's where the, the people who hate it have realized that if you get to a wrong gym, that's a CrossFit gym, that's really just focused on the competition of it and who's competing with who and who's going to beat who that's where injury sets in. It gets so much focus on the competition that there's like that slop, right? That's okay because we're beating the clock. And that's where I think it goes wrong and it's keeping the chiropractors in business. But I think, like I said, there's good and there's bad in everything. So you can't just you know, throw daggers at CrossFit, like, oh my gosh, it's awful. We hate it. No one should do it. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's a case by case basis of the gym and the instructors and who's out there teaching what. I think that's such a great point. And I also want to touch on something you said a little bit before about feeling like you needed to look a certain way in the industry. And I've, you know, been working with some trainers that have come to me and they feel like, you know, they're still on their fitness journey and they don't look the way they think that people would want them to look. And I've mentioned to them that, A, it's okay to be on your own fitness journey. That's that's what you're always going to be on. And B, there is no way you have to look. They're coming to you for the knowledge to help them reach their goals. And Often, as you even mentioned, too, as females, as people in general, we can be very hard on ourselves and actually more negative towards ourselves than anybody else sees us. So what advice would you give to those you know, women who might not feel like they're at a spot where they're, they look like they can coach somebody? Um, I would say really work on your mindset because not everyone is going to see you the way you see you. And like you said, we're, we're hard on ourselves. So if we could start with positive affirmations and changing our mindset, 
while we're changing our, you know, working on our journey to get to where we're going to be comfortable in our own skin and how we look and what we, we think people want from us. Um, I think the mindset will do wonders because what you're going to realize, the more you do the mindset and the positive affirmation is you're going to start to change your thinking process of you don't need to be ripped. And and, and it's so difficult to be, you know, especially like figure competitors, like they're not, they don't look like that all the time. You know, they're not constantly stage ready. That is a lot is, is there's so much work that goes into that. And two, three days after that, they don't look like that. You know what I'm saying? So I think we need to get that out of our head. But as you give yourself grace and you work these positive affirmations um, while you're on that journey, I think your journey might change a little bit and you might realize that you don't need to be so hard on yourself. And so you'll kind of dial that back. So that makes sense. (laughs) Sorry, they kind of just like went in a circle. (laughs) It totally makes sense. And it is, it's working on the mindset as much as, you know, your physical training and your physical, you know, what you eat, your diet. It it is the mindset because if, if you make all these changes and you don't see those changes or give yourself credit for those changes anyway, it's not going to make any difference. Absolutely. And you know what? We're so, I think as just as a, most individuals were, you were saying earlier how like we're hard on ourselves or how I was hard on myself. We talk to ourselves, basically we, we bully ourselves. We talk to ourselves like we would never talk to other people, or at least we hope we wouldn't, you know, talk to other people that way. You know, we would never be as rude or, or condescending and hateful to someone that we do to ourselves. And so that was a big shift for me a couple of years ago. And I wrote an article about bullying ourselves. Like, would you talk to someone the way you talk to yourself? No. So why are you allowing yourself to do that? Why are you beating yourself up? And, and, and so that, that's something I think is just really important is, is the way we speak to ourselves and how it changes your thought process. I totally agree. And Karen, you've shared so much great information with us, but now we have five of the hardest questions we're going to ask you today. (laughs) Okay. Let me see if we can, we can answer these. Okay. And fire away. (laughs) <laughs> the fast five fitness facts. And I usually make Ryan introduce it because I always feel like I'm going to stumble over all those five or F's. But the first question is, what's your favorite exercise? You know what? I don't really have a favorite. I have like a handful of favorites that are always going to be in my training. Um, so not a favorite, but I would say my top three are one arm pushups, pull-ups and single leg deadlifts. I would, that would that's probably a, be my top a solid, three. a solid top three. <laughs> I just think they have the most carryover and you can add them to anything and you can do them anywhere. So that's, that's why I, lo- I like those the best. And so what exercise or exercises do you hate, but love at the same time? Um, oh gosh. Anything that's high rep cardio. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't, um, I kind of laugh that I'm, I'm the one rep max queen. I, um, I hate running. Um, so if I have to do that, I would rather do sprints than I would endurance. Um, but I don't know if there's anything that I just absolutely hate. Um, but yeah, I would have to, it would probably be veered a little more towards that. I mean, definitely in the, the, uh, strength before anything else camp right now. <laughs> I can agree with that. I, I, I think I tend to not want to run as long as it, unless it's sprinting as well. But what is the best book you've ever read, Karen? Oh my gosh. Yeah. See that one. You're going to stump me on best book. You know what? I need to add that to my, my new goal for this year, finding more time for 
away from work. And that's going to be on it is to start reading. I see everyone promoting these really great books. And for me to take time to sit and read, I'm not doing enough of that. I just veer right back in. If I sit down and start to read, I veer off to, oh my gosh, I need to be writing this program or I didn't check these person's email or I didn't get back to someone fast enough. So that that's going to go on my, my, let's call that my new year's resolution. <laughs> find more personal time and start reading some good books. So any recommendations would be great. Everyone can kind of send them my way. <laughs> and what about music? What is your favorite pump up song? You know what? I don't have one of those either. I don't even really train to music. If, if it's on, it's kind of in the background, but I do listen to a little bit of everything. Um, I would say I'm back onto a country kick. Maybe it's cause I'm back in Texas. I don't know. I'm going back to my roots, but um, I listen to a little bit of everything. I just don't like the screaming, um, rock music that's screaming so much that you, all you can tell is that they're screaming. You don't really know what they're saying. That's not really something that just gives me a headache. <laughs> maybe, maybe that makes me sound old. I'm getting old. <laughs> no, I agree with you there as well. I'm, I'm against uh training to screaming music, actually any kind of screaming music anytime, but, <laughs> and if you could train with one person dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh gosh. Um, you know what? I really think I saw a picture the other day and I was thinking about this. Um, I think it would be Sylvester Stallone. I think that's who I'd want to. Now, is this train with us and they're training me or I'm just we're getting to work out together or does it matter? No, it doesn't just matter. Either one. But now I'm curious at what point in Sylvester Stallone's life, current day Sylvester Stallone or Rocky Sylvester Stallone? You know what? Both. Like I, if I could go back and like be able to do both, that would be awesome. And here's why. Here's why for current day. I think that he is helping to change the thinking of you can't do anything when you get old. I mean, he's 70 years old now, still looking, you know, in great shape. And I'm sure he's had work done. I mean, but seriously, by the 70 who either hasn't or had or, or wouldn't want to. Right. Um, and if you have the money to do it, awesome. So but I think that the fact that he's still doing great. He's out there working. I mean, he's got so much money. He could have retired years and years ago. Right. But he, it's, it's going back to doing what you love and he's still out there making a difference for people. And I think it's just showing that age is just a number. It's just a mindset. Like you, if you tell yourself all day long that you're old you're going to be old and you're going to move around like someone that's old. But if you tell yourself that you're not, and you know, keep doing all the things that you love doing, I think that we can, uh, do things definitely into an older age than, than we may have thought in the past. It's following that passion and having that positive mindset. Absolutely. Karen, can you tell our listeners where they can follow up with you and learn more about your training programs? Yes, absolutely. Um, my website is coachkarensmith.com. Like I said, I have a membership program there. It's um, really low monthly fee for people who want someone just to tell them what to do every day. Um, so I have daily workouts there. I um, put in bonus programs every quarter with a coaching group where they can interact with each other for six weeks out of every quarter if it's a program that they're interested in. So it's just free programs I put in there for the people that have been loyal and they're, they're you know, wanting to either do workouts of the day or learn how to do programs. Um, outside of that, social media, I'm kind of on all the social media out there. Instagram, it's um, underscore coach underscore Karen underscore and coach Karen Smith on Facebook. I don't remember what my Twitter is, but I'm out there too. <laughs> I'm just we'll, not, we'll not as much. We'll be sure to link out to this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. 
Well, we'll definitely link out to those. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening to the Fitness Hacks podcast by Redefining Strength. For the show notes and more episodes, visit redefiningstrength.com.